Welcome to Unleashed at Work and Home, the show dedicated to helping veterinarians, vet techs, dog trainers, shelter and rescue workers, pet sitters, and all the other animal-crazy pet professionals manage their stress and find more joy. I'm your host, Colleen Pilar, and I'm thrilled you're here with us today. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite app so that you won't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by our free community, the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals. If you like the ideas shared here, then you're invited to continue the conversation with other lifelong learners in the community. You can find out more at colleenpilar.com slash community. It's the perfect place for you to learn cool stuff, feel good, and take action to create the life you love. Come join us. My guest today is Jenny Blake. She's the founder of Pivot Method, a growth strategy company that helps forward-thinking individuals and organizations map what's next through scalable pivot programs. Jenny is an international keynote speaker and the author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters Is Your Next One. After five years at Google in coaching, training, and career development, Jenny pivoted to running her own business in New York City in 2011. Jenny's motto is, if change is the only constant, let's get better at it. So I invited Jenny to come on today and talk to us about change. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much, Colleen. I am honored to be here. I just love the work that you do and your listeners as well. So it's really a privilege to get to talk for this community. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm delighted to have you, and you are a special exception to our typical podcast guest because you are not a pet professional, but I know you're an animal lover, so can you tell us a little bit about that? (laughs) Yes, I just fall into the avid animal fan category, (laughs) so in fact, I've curated, I don't, I recently did an episode on my podcast of how I run my business without social media And the way I've curated my Instagram feed, the only time I ever go on is just to see dogs, dogs, bunnies, and piglets. Those are like how I've curated the feed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's all I see when I, when I log on, or at least all that I try to see. It's funny because, uh, so my husband and I, uh, just got our German shepherd rider. He turns 10 months old today on the day of this recording and we live in New York city. So that's its own adventure. Um, and it's such a, you know, what I do with pivot of coaching and training is so similar to what everything I've learned this year, as I immersed myself in the, in the dog training and not even training, just this trust building and forming a relationship. It's been really fun and rewarding to see those parallels. And I mean, who just doesn't love dogs? They're the greatest. They are. They are the greatest. And I love that you talk about the trust building and relationship because I think that's a really important piece of life (laughs) in general, that so much of our anxiety about having a change does relate to risk. And so when we can establish trust and relationship in the, the people around us and the animals around us, but in this particular case, we're talking about people, it really makes us feel safer to take some risks and to make some changes. Your book, Pivot, was one that I read when I was really on the fence about, could I stop being a dog trainer and start becoming a coach to helping provide resilient skills for pet professionals? It was very helpful to me to have that 
trust and relationship piece and see how that carried through my old work to my new work. So thank you for that. Oh, I'm so thrilled to hear that. And what you talk about, what you've pivoted to of putting resilience front and center for pet professionals, so much of change is about resilience. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason I wrote Pivot was that I wasn't feeling very resilient to the changes that were happening in my life and my career. And I just love knowing that in some way it helped give you the courage to go all in on this direction. And I think, you know, one of the quotes that I share in the opening to Pivot is that um, all change involves loss. And yes. sometimes we're leaving behind something good, a mm -hmm. good job, or, you know, maybe you fully enjoyed the dog training world, mm -hmm. but there comes this time where we, we hit a plateau, we hit a pivot point where, where you've kind of outgrown some aspect of that. And the whole point of pivoting is that none of us are starting from scratch, but in the moment it can feel very disorienting because especially when it comes to our work there's some part of us that feels our survival is at stake with this decision. Yes. And that's been very true for pet professionals this year with coronavirus because everything has changed. All the things that we thought were not possible. Dog trainers are teaching group classes on Zoom. I, I assure you that was not something we were considering couple of years ago when I was still training. Veterinary clinics are having appointments where the animal comes in and the owner stays out. That's totally different way of interacting with the animals they care for and the clients. So, so many things that we thought were set in stone have shifted. So much has changed. And yet the, the basic underlying piece of it, of delivering the services, again, the trust and relationship and all of those pieces is the same. How do you think that people can sort of lean into these changes while also recognizing the loss that has come that so much is different and in many ways more difficult? Yeah, I, I love that you asked this question. And my, my experience at this point in 2020, the, the insanity that is 2020, is that there's a massive level of processing that mm -hmm. we are all needing to do as individuals and as a society that is quite taxing on our energy. So this is not even like pivoting your career or business in normal <laughs> times. <laughs> this is pivoting around a pandemic. This is the sky is falling. Now what do you do? And this unrelenting stress and pressure and the visuals of seeing everybody in masks or of having to work with pets or pet owners, you know, in different ways than ever before, scrambling to do that while scrambling to keep some semblance of income going. I mean, these are not normal times that we're in. And I think even with the talks of various cities around the world and country reopening, there's this slight implication that, okay, you're ready to go back to some kind of new normal now. And I don't think that quite honors the deep reprogramming and what I'm calling like hard drive reformatting that at least mm -hmm. I'm experiencing as yes. a business owner. And there's a, a real time of, there's a lot of rewords, like resilience is one of them, but reprogramming, reevaluating, reformatting, reckoning, um, releasing, there's a lot that's going on. And now my new theme that as I look toward the we, we get into the fall is my, my I'm trying to have radical reimagining. <laughs> what does it look like if I could start from scratch? I, I think at some point in this year, maybe we were all going to make an effort of when things can get back to normal. And for me, radical reimagining is 
we really are in some ways getting an opportunity to rebuild. There's another yes. re or start yeah. from scratch. And what could that look like in a way that really honors our own interests and our passions and our energy, um, just like you did, just like you did. I love radical reimagining because we really are doing that, that all of the things that we thought couldn't change did change. And now the question is the new normal. Do we want it to be what we're currently doing right now? Or do we want to really lay out all the pieces and, and figure out what works? What do we like? What do we wish was different? And lean into that radical reimagining. And there's also something that when you were asking me the question that came, that came up for me, I just re uh, just read Gavin De Becker's book, The Gift of Fear, and he said very that good all book. animals. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I had put it off for a long time because I didn't want to be. I said I won't be able to sleep at night if I read that book. <laughs> but it's of course the opposite. Mm -hmm. And he talks about intuition that all animals have intuition. But the difference that what people do is we judge it. So we mm -hmm. have an intuitive hit maybe about what's next, but we judge it. We layer on judgment and doubt or rationalization. Well, that's not going to work because, or, oh, well, that person, it's not a red flag maybe. And we just try to tell a new story that makes us feel more comfortable. Yeah. And so I love how Gavin DeBecker talks about allowing our intuition to be as it is. And the parallel that I can draw with animal and animal behavior is like, it's been so special. You know, animals don't have some ulterior motive. They're not trying to manipulate us. They have genuine needs mm -hmm. and they express those needs. Like Ryder, it just happens to be today. He's having some digestion issues. So he scratches the front door at 3am at 4am at 5am. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not trying to be difficult. He just has a genuine need. And uh, with the animals, it's very easy to say, oh, you have a genuine need. What do you need? And we, we jump to it and we, we don't judge it as there's anything wrong. And I think the difference in our own career and businesses is that sometimes we think I'm burnt out or I'm exhausted or I need a break. I need to rest. I, I need to do extra processing. I need to be a vegetable today. And then we judge it and we yes. say, well, how dare you think that? Or that's lazy or mm -hmm. boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden we start judging ourselves and taking these pivot points personally. And if we could only just release that layer so we can hear our intuition, I think that's a big practice of this time as well. I think that's really true. And I think that's one of, one of my big concerns for pet professionals is that when I started doing this work, there wasn't a pandemic. And I was seeing people who were right on the edge of burnout all the time. They were doing too much with, with, too few resources and they weren't able to stop and recharge. And when they did attempt that, then they judged themselves for it. I'm wasting time. I should be doing something else. People need me. Dogs need me. All the things. And then a pandemic hit. And so now they're being asked to do even more with even fewer resources. And there is that, that self-judgment of maybe I'm not allowed to put my needs first. And if we could have this radical reimagining where people really did take care of themselves so that they could show up with all of their skills and talents and gifts in a way that can bless the world fully resourced, imagine all of the amazing things that would happen if we weren't all running on empty. Absolutely. And, and that, you know, when something bends so far that it breaks, 
I do think that a big part of the reckoning that's happening right now is that the way we were working just is not going to work moving forward for so many reasons. But one of those is trying to expect ourselves to act like cogs in a factory Mm -hmm. or this more, 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 or do more and earn less like that mode is just, it's not going to work. Like you said, it was already creating a lot of burnout and exhaustion even pre-pandemic. And now we don't even have, at least I'll speak for myself. I don't even have the emotional resources to fake it, to act like, oh, you know, I'm not tired. I'm tired. I'm not, I'm barely able to do the minimum in my business. And, and I, again, I think that's because there's this whole other layer of collective processing. And I yes. do think that part of radical reimagining is, especially in the pet professional community is, yeah, how do we want to redesign things? How can we put ourselves first? You know, a question I like to ask in my business is how can I earn twice as much in half the time with joy and ease while serving the highest good? So it's still not just only about me. It's not just about the money, of course, but earning twice as much in half the time to me is about reducing the need to just put in the time. It's mm-hmm. it's how can I do more with less with ease and joy while serving the highest good. And I don't know that there's any one answer that would be the way, let's say for pet professionals, because we're the, the crazy thing about this time is that no one has the answers. Nobody knows. Actually, we're all thrown into this mode of experimentation. And your guess is as good as mine in terms of what what any of us do in our collective industries or our individual industries. It is so true. And even if one of us does find an answer, that doesn't mean that answer will fit for others, which as every coach knows, you know, each of us has to find our own individual answers, which requires some openness to thinking about things in a new way. You've described your pivot method as um, both a method and a mindset, which I liked because method is about changing behavior. What do I do? And mindset is about changing thinking. And changing thinking is what typically makes, for humans, behavior change stick. So changing our thinking makes those behavior changes stronger. Tell me a little bit more about some of the mindsets that you think get in the way of people when they're trying to make changes. Yeah, well, pivot as a mindset, even pre-pandemic, my motto when working on the book, as you shared, is if change is the only constant, let's get better at it. And I had this slide, again, pre-pandemic, that said pivot is the new normal. And so pivot as a mindset is actually what we've all gotten a black belt in. The only constant is change. And even if you think you solve something, well, the whole the government could put down some new restriction tomorrow. And so mm-hmm. there's it there's really a sense that there's not gonna be the same, at least illusion of stable ground beneath us, because we know. Somewhere in the back of our mind, we know anything can happen at any time. But part of one one thing that gets in the way is kind of what I mentioned earlier of taking it personally. Oh, there's something wrong with me. Why can't I figure this out yet? Or why aren't I happy? Something as simple as, shouldn't I be happy in -hmm. this? I have my dream job. Maybe somebody pivoted from working in an office to dog training or to becoming a veterinarian, you know, uh, whatever the pivot that there there can sometimes be some guilt of, um, I thought this was my dream job. Why aren't I happy? Mm -hmm. Why can't I even be happy doing this? And so to the extent that pivot as a mindset is also just realizing that 
When you hit a pivot point, which again, I think we're at a collective and an individual pivot point of all of us, no one's getting out of this <laughs> um, right. without changing, that it's so important to give yourself the benefit of the doubt and see it actually as a sign of your success that sometimes what you do is make an interim pivot, that you, you do make a bold move and that's actually one step closer to the thing you really want to do. And that's okay too, that it's really an iterative process. And the big secret is that we're pivoting more often than not. And it's kind of a cliche in the Buddhism world, but there's no there there. And I think sometimes people think they need to solve their pivot before they can take action or that somehow everyone else has it figured out and you're the only one that's confused. And it's the exact opposite. Like when I was working on the book, every single person I told said, oh my God, you're ready. I'm in a pivot right now. There was almost nobody who said, oh yeah, I feel good. I have it all figured out. I think that's true. And one of the things that you recommend in your book, you you call them experiments where you're looking for things with the three E's, something you can enjoy, something you can become an expert at, and something that offers you room to expand. I love the idea of the experiments, the baby steps, the tiny tweaks, and things that people can explore for just finding more inspiration in their work without radically changing direction, but just improving what's here now. Well, I love love that you brought this up because it's one of my favorite parts too, is this notion of pilots. So instead of trying to have the one and only answer when you're navigating change, what are some pilots or small experiments that you can set up? And you just shared the three E's. Another way to to apply the three E's is to say, you try an experiment and then you evaluate it by saying, did I enjoy this? Can I become an expert at it? And is there room to expand? So you gave the example of a dog trainer teaching a group class over Zoom. Well, if we line up three dog trainers or 10 and each of them asks themselves, did I enjoy this? Did it give me energy? Do I, could I become better at it? Do I want to learn zoom? Do I enjoy learning the dynamics of virtual group facilitation? And then is there room to expand in your business with the client base that you have? Like if your client base is where my grandma lives in a retirement community and they don't know the first thing about Zoom, that person's answer is not really probably going to be that there's room to expand. Whereas someone else maybe, you know, who knows, a group in New York City could answer that differently. And part of that, again, is to take the pressure off that it has anything to do with you, whether something energizes you or not. But by evaluating your experiments with those three E's, then you start to get a sense of, all right, I'm going to try three different things and see what sticks or see which one starts to take on a momentum of its own. Just kind of nice to look at it from that perspective of just what, what do you crave? What do you want? What do you lean toward? Um, and giving yourself permission to do that, which I think is hard for people because we're so often looking for the right answer. Like I, there's something I should be doing. And often it really is a matter of asking yourself, did I enjoy that? Did it energize me? Was it interesting? So what do you recommend for people who aren't giving themselves permission to ask those questions? Well, it could be a simple shift. It could be listening to a conversation like this one. I think, you know, something I appreciate is Byron Katie, who who has a coaching process called The Work. And maybe many of you listening are familiar. Her There's a kind of seminal book she did called Loving What Is. 
There's another one called, I need your love. Is that true? But essentially she says that any thought that creates stress or suffering is false, essentially that if, if a thought is creating suffering, it's an alarm clock waking you up to a different reality. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone who's currently feeling bad or beating yourself up or not speaking kindly to yourself, is it working? I guess that's also the Dr. Phil Oprah dynamic of like, how's that working (laughs) out for you? But you do have an opportunity to turn it around. And often those thoughts that create the most stress, Byron Katie says, it's the exact opposite. It's like a photo negative. The, The way we've phrased it, it's probably the truth is the exact opposite. And if you go to the work.com, you can get, it's called the judge your neighbor worksheet, but you essentially for any thought that's creating stress or suffering can ask, is that true? How do you feel when you think that thought, who would you be without that thought? And you practice turning it around, just flipping the sentence as many ways as you can. And I find that that often unlocks something new as well. Um, and a new way forward and just giving your, I think, I think all of us can use a heaping dose of self-care and self-compassion right now, which I know, Colleen, are two things that you have talked about on this podcast. But no, no one's going to benefit right now by beating ourselves up. It's just not the time. Look at how much. Can you imagine? I just did this exercise with a friend, your future self, looking back on 2020. Yeah just wanting to kind of pat you on the head and say, Oh my gosh, what a hard year. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. You know, like the, our future selves are going to look at us during this time and think, God, how did you make it through that? What a crazy year. And I think that if we even put ourselves in the future self, looking back at this time, that might even help somebody bring in a little more generosity and compassion. Those are both great strategies. I, I love Byron Katie's question about, is it true? And then, you know, like, how do you know it's true? That, that Because yes. we we sort of default to like, well, of course it's true. I thought it. <laughs> and then like, mm, right. Maybe says, not. Can you, can you absolutely <laughs> know that it's true? Which is yeah. what I skipped. But yeah. Well, and, oh, I guess not. It's an interesting thought. And so it, it helps in that perspective to create some of that self-compassion when we look at ourselves and go, wow, we really we really are doing a better job than we think we are because we're so busy judging ourselves on standards that aren't necessarily realistic. And certainly this whole idea of if you were to imagine yourself several years in the future, looking back on the you of 2020, you'd probably be pretty impressed with how well you're handling all of this. But in the moment on the day when you're not getting all the things on your checklist done, it it's easy to fall into that judger mode again, where you're kind of going, oh, I just can't get it done. Why can't I be productive? And, and again, word. I think we have such an opportunity to see if you can't get your to-do list done, why would that mean there's something wrong with you? Wouldn't it mean we can have room for a radical reimagining of our to-do list? Like, why don't we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt? And I am in the first in line to need to do this work, but I'm trying to get better at it where I say, maybe that means this shouldn't be done at all. Maybe that means I don't want to do this thing anymore. And the one more Byron Katie, just while we're on, on it, because I think it relates to, especially a lot of people listening are self-employed in some way is if, if you're thinking about someone else, like I definitely fall into codependency across the board. It's something I work on of just people pleasing and trying to make everyone else happy. Um, If they're up in their business and you're up in their business, 
there's nobody home for yours. Mm-hmm. So let me give an example of, let's say a dog walker and all the clients are saying, oh, well, it's the pandemic now. Can you come? I don't know, some like next level request and you want to make everyone else happy. And so they're worried about their own business. You're worried about them and keeping them happy, but the collective impact on all of those little pings for your energy are that no one's home for you. And we do this with setting our pricing as well. Like we think, oh no, I couldn't charge this because they don't have the budget and they're worried about their wallet. We're worried about their wallet and there's no one home for ours. And so that leads to even underpricing various services because we're thinking first and foremost for everyone else. And then it means that there's really no one home taking care of us. So I think just remembering that can be very empowering too. And to have trust, there is a little bit of faith involved that faith in this abundance mindset that I will find the people that can meet me at what feels joyful, easeful, and abundant. And I don't need to sacrifice myself just to try to please everyone else. I think that was hugely important for people to hear on on all the levels. But I want I want you to reemphasize the part on pricing because I know that's something that many, 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 many pet professionals struggle with. Again, the whole piece of worrying about what others can afford. So can you tell us just a little bit more about that? Yeah, often we, there's a common tendency in business to set rates based on our own budget. (laughs) So you almost like we we almost project whatever funds we have available for ourselves personally, we project it to our clients and we say, well, this would be a stretch for me. So how dare I charge this for others? But it ends up not really creating a sustainable career or business to price things that way. And it's also not necessarily accurate. One major hesitation that I think a lot of people have when it comes to raising their rates is they don't want to be inaccessible to people that they care about. Mm-hmm. But if your rates are too low and you're completely burned out and therefore not even able to show up or do a good job, you're really not of any use to anyone. It's not going to be sustainable in the long term. So something that has helped me in the past and that I encourage people to do is like really set. I, when I look at pricing, I think about three numbers. Let's say you're looking at your total monthly take home. What's the minimum you need to pay your bills? And by the way, most people set their rates based on their minimum, which is quite stressful. What's (laughs) nice to have and what's jump out of bed with glee. And when I'm coaching people, I always try to give them the, uh, go for something between nice to have and jump out of bed with glee and set your rates at something that is a whole body. Yes. Something that feels delightful. Some rate, whether it's your day rate, your monthly take home that has you ecstatic. It actually gives you a sigh of relief to price in that way. Then, and only then will you connect with the clients that it's just as joyful for them to get out their wallet and pay you. Imagine those clients that are delighted to pay this fee because they know how special it is what you do. And that will free up some energy and brain space and availability to be able to create something for everyone else. So it doesn't mean that you never serve the population, you know, even attorneys have their high billable rates and then they do some amount of pro bono. Well, if you are charging easeful, joyful rates on the whole that allow you to fully recharge, again, jump out of bed with glee, have space and ease in your day, 
then you have some amount of energy left to create things that are free or to create some sort of scalable. Maybe it is a Zoom group training that's free every month that, um, or a veterinary clinic that's free every month. But there's no way you can do that if you're scrambling and burned out and tired and still not earning enough to pay the bills. And all of this is with the caveat that I know it's incredibly difficult right now, no matter what, with pricing and income. But in general, I think kind of making this shift, it's important and it's, and you deserve it. You know, you deserve to feel supported and your just right clients, again, instead of picturing them feeling so burdened by these new prices, imagine they can't wait to pay you more. You know, imagine that they think it's about time. I've been waiting for you to raise your rates. It's ridiculous what you're charging. Those are the people that are going to be really happy to pay. And they're out there. They're out there. But we have to at least open ourselves up to that possibility. When you were talking about that, you were saying about how that would help people be more resourced um, emotionally, you know, and, and intellectually to be able to create other things. And I think that's one of our, our real challenges is that we are so often running on empty. And I, like you were saying before about how you're working on these things, I'm always working on it too, because I always have a to-do list that is longer than it should be. And I'm trying to be a little bit more careful about choosing which things are the most valuable for moving forward and which things aren't and not getting stuck into that. The idea of allowing ourselves to think about Self-care from the perspective of it being a gift to others is challenging for many people. Like if I take care of me, then I can give more to others. People kind of resist that at times. It just it just sounds a little bit wrong, <laughs> um, but it does seem to be proven over and over and over. Can you tell me how you help your clients when they struggle with that idea? Well, I guess for me... <laughs> There's such a correlation. It's like if I don't sleep enough or at all, I'm kind of a miserable person to be around the next day. And I I think whether if, okay, sometimes this gets clouded when we think about self-care as being a vital ingredient to run our business. Mm -hmm. However, at the same time, you know, a long time ago, I did a blog post that's called your body is your business. Like if you are the sole employee of Operation U, and you're running at 50%, it means your whole business is impacted. But as well, like think about if you have a partner, a spouse, or if you have a pet. Imagine when you're really run down, I know I'm way less patient. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I might pull the leash and be like, come on, let's go. It's time to get home. You know, I'm this cranky, grumpy person. I'm just like, to me, it's so clear that if I don't really prioritize and double down on self-care. I'm just a shell of myself. And maybe some people are better at faking that than than me. (laughs) I don't know, or kind of rallying or trying to um, pretend that that's not the case. But in my experience, that's never worked. And even if it works for a short amount of time, it just doesn't work on the long term. I start. I think one signal of this is if you start resenting your business or resenting yes. your clients or anyone around you, or you want to burn it all down. Like I've had moments <laughs> of that this year where I'm like, I just want to shut it all down. I'm gonna like move to a farm and live off the land. <laughs> you know, like, really, really dramatic ideas, which we know a lot of people are doing during this mm-hmm. time. But those are kind of signals. Oh. 
yeah, maybe I'm overgiving. And yeah. I think that overgiving comes from some insecurity that, oh, if I put up boundaries or if I say no or do things differently, everything will disappear. And it's usually the exact opposite. Yeah. I, I think that's very, very common for pet professionals. In fact, one of the things that I hear so often is people say to me, sadly, that the relationships that matter the most to them are the ones that they have the least resources to invest in in the moment. So their kids get the cranky mom, their husband gets someone who doesn't want to sit and have a conversation at dinner because she's too tired or, you know, they're, they're not playing with their own dogs. They're not riding their own horses. They're not having time to really lean into the, the people and animals that, that are their special inner circle because they're so busy giving to everyone else. And it's Mm. very sad. And the only way to do that is of course, to give in to yourself, to feed, to feed yourself and take care of yourself so that you have the resources to be able to show up for all of these relationships. Yes. And, and again, to like, when I think about pricing, I think you need to set it at the number that's joyful plus 30%, because even for any one client, we, we sometimes, uh, an, another mistake we make is pricing, let's say by an hourly rate. Okay. The, what is it for this one hour for this client, but we're not taking into consideration. It probably needs to be three times that number because mm-hmm. there's taxes, there's health insurance, there's the client management of coordinating before and after that hour, whatever the service may be. So even if you see yourself as working at some kind of hourly rate, it's multiplied times three, because that's actually what you need in order to have the buffer in order to be able to pay your taxes and your health insurance and do the scheduling and coordination and all the other things that are going to come with that, you know, lead up and follow up to that time. So if we just start to see our time a little differently, I think it can also give people as it gave me an aha moment of, oh yeah, I'm not really just pricing on this one hour. I'm, I'm also pricing on 10 years of experience or 20 years of experience mm-hmm. or a priceless uh, skill of animal intuition that it's like, how do you put a price on that? And the good news for this community is that people love their furry friends. You know, (laughs) we love (laughs) our so much. It's, it's actually, if you kind of, I think there can be a shift where you realize, oh my gosh, there are so many people that would just do anything for their pets. And to flip this conversation, there are so many people who would move heaven and earth for the comfort of their animals um, than for themselves even. And certainly not everyone. We know there's like a dark side, of course, as well with, with yes. animals. Um, but, but when we're talking about the business and ideal clients, just consider that people are actually like, you know, more eager to spend on their pets than themselves. I feel like we took a vacation to a lake where a rider could go swimming for the first time. And while we were there as out of the city, I actually felt that we had taken this whole vacation for <laughs> Ryder, built around him, where he could stay, you know, what yeah. he could do. It's like we were just there to facilitate his vacation. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it brought you great joy. It, it did. <laughs> it did. And we paid extra. We paid a premium. Like the the rooms cost more, the transportation there cost more, everything cost more. Um, but we were happy to do it. And it was so priceless to see him swimming and jumping off a dog. And, you know, so th- those are the pictures to have in mind when re- radically reimagining your business and your services. 
which what the you asked about kind of mindset mistakes when in fact what a lot of us do is just imagine the worst case scenario if yeah. i raise my rates i'll scare everyone away then i won't have any clients then i won't be able to pay rent then my landlord's going to kick me out and then and then and we we invest so much energy painting the picture of what we don't want which doesn't actually work mhm yeah that's actually dog training 101 is what do you want so Whenever anyone right. says, like, I don't want my dog to jump on the counter. Fabulous. That's not a behavior. What do you want? <laughs> totally. <laughs> I just want my today, dog to keep his to... paws on the floor. Okay. Yeah. Just today <laughs> I said to Ryder, I said, no jumping. And I thought to myself, he has no clue what that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the, you can't. It doesn't work. I'm so glad you brought up that parallel because that's exactly right. And our business is the, I wonder what would happen if you, if we thought about our business as a pet that we were training. And I think pet is the wrong word, you know, but Mm -hmm. our animal companions, like what would it be like to apply that same logic of behavior change, behavior shaping to our business? And I think there's so many more parallels than we probably even realize. Absolutely. So many. I, I thought that as I made my switch, that the shift in, you know, dog training into human behavior and doing coaching work and things like that, that so much of it I already knew. And then I was just adding layers onto because I was learning about it. But the the dog trainer concepts of, you know, focusing what you do want and creating safety and having a plan for moving forward and taking baby steps and little tiny approximations toward your goal and seeing behavior stick. That's all dog training. It's also all human life. That's where we are. And as you as you have in your motto, if change is the only constant, let's get better at it. We really do have to recognize that change is always happening and that this year, of course, has had tremendous change. But we can't escape change. Things are always, always changing. And I think that we sometimes labor under the fallacy that there's there's non-changing times and then there's periods right. of change. Right. Exactly. That's the, that's what's funny about it is that I think this year just made clear and it certainly in quite dramatic fashion, but it is true that we're, we're never, uh, we, we can never really be sure. And I think that's quite unsettling, but it can also be empowering. And I love what you said, Colleen, about how you realized how, how, what skills you already had. And that'd be something that I, I hope all of you listening can take away is you already have so many valuable skills and experience um, in in change, navigating change, and and in fact, nonverbal communication. I mean, I think intuition is one of the best tools we have in life mm-hmm. and business for navigating change. And what's incredible about this community is that that's one of your superpowers yeah. because you have to communicate with animals using nonverbals and intuition and try to feel into what they're thinking or how they're feeling or what they need. And, and that's, that's a superpower that I believe is the superpower for navigating change and figuring out what's next. Well, that is awesome. It's so helpful. Thank you so much, Jenny. If people want to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? The best place is pivotmethod.com. I think for your listeners, Colleen, if you go to pivotmethod.com slash founder time, I have a free mini course on freeing up time and just how to think about your time and money a little differently that might help free up some energy this year. And I also have a podcast. Uh, If you just look up Pivot with Jenny Blake, you'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jenny. This was really great talking to you. Likewise. Thank you so much, Colleen. And if if you're listening, Colleen was also on the Pivot Podcast. We had a lot of fun. Uh, I just really love what you're doing. And that goes for all of you listening. So thank you so much for the work that you do for all of our angels and fur coats. I, I for one, really appreciate it. And again, it's just an honor to be here. So thanks again for having me, Colleen. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. I invite you to come learn more at ColleenPilar.com where you can be steady, be strong, and be long.